Welcome again to Trail Tales. This is your host, Tom Funk. And today's episode is uh, part of our Portage, Paddles, and Pathways series. And these are water routes and trails and shortcuts between watersheds in the Great Lakes. Today's episode will be about portaging between the Huron and Grand River watersheds. Bet you many of you didn't know you could do that, and I'm going to tell you that you can actually portage and not even get out of your canoe. So, let me tell you about this uh, obvious uh uh, connection between two big watersheds in the state of Michigan that most people would never think of portaging between, but it is doable. Uh, it starts with the French uh, voyagers and explorers that were paddling and portaging and trekking inland in the Lower Peninsula in the late 1600s and 1700s. Most of these people, however, were illiterate, and if they were illiterate, they didn't take notes. They did tell stories, however, but most were exaggerated and few people documented their adventures, inland or otherwise. When the French lost the French and Indian War and the treaty again turned over the Northwest Territories to the British, British fur traders started to ply the waters. One of which was Hugh Heward. Hugh Heward was engaged in the fur trade in the Detroit and Wabash regions as early as 1782. In 1786, he was given power of attorney to represent the Miami Company uh, in French, Illinois. In 1787, he sojourned the Cahokia, and by 1790, he was serving as clerk and bookkeeper for William and David Robertson in Detroit. In 1790, Heward and seven French-Canadian engagés crossed the Lower Peninsula in two birch bark canoes. Heward kept a personal journal and is included with the John Askin Papers published in 1928 and are located at the Detroit Library. Askin himself was instrumental in establishing British rule in Canada after the British took over New France, and he entered the fur trade and operated a trading post at Fort Michilimackinac. In 1781, he formed a partnership with Robert Hamilton's son, Alexander, and Richard Cartwright. Askin was based in Detroit. Heward and his engagés were, uh, they all set off on March 24th, 1790, for the Illinois River. Michigan wasn't even a territory, and the inland was sparsely populated by Native Americans along the rivers and lakes. Reprovisioning in the interior of the Lower Peninsula would be dependent on the goodwill of the local Native Americans. The first recorded settler uh, in the Lower Peninsula was Louis Gernot in 1825 near Ionia and Ricks Robertson in 1821 at the junction of the Grand and Thornapple Rivers. Leaving Detroit in 16-piece canoes, uh, they paddled downstream on the Detroit River to the mouth of the Huron, then upstream. It took them four days to reach the mouth of the Huron, doing to have to double back for some forgotten provisions which happened to be a barrel of pork, and they were slowed down by bad weather as well. After four days of strenuous paddling upstream, Heward notes that they stopped at a Huron village. Jim Woodruff, a canoe historian, theorizes that at present day, Ypsilanti is where they were. Here, Heward tried negotiating for a guide to help them 
find and cross from the Lake Erie watershed to the Lake Michigan watershed. A local Huron said that they would meet him at the Fork of the River, which is in present-day Dexter. Heward arrived at this point on Sunday, April 4th. Not finding his Indian guide, Heward spent three days wandering on foot in the area trying to find the portage. In reviewing his notes, he had mistaken Mill Creek for the mainstream of the Huron. Woodruff theorizes Heward was wandering around the four townships surrounding the Chelsea area. Not finding the portage on their own, Heward and Engage went back to the Indian village for help. They used a foot trail that went along the river. A guide was hired on the spot and pointed out to Heward that he did, in fact, make a mistake and veered from the mainstream of the Huron. They headed up the mainstream of the Huron and their guide continued with them. Uh, from the uh, from the book, a quote from Heward, went with the Indian from her encampment down again to take the fork leading nor- northwest and arrived midday. Proceeded up the branch, uh, which is probably the main street in the Huron, uh, which turned more northeast about four leagues. Continuing, on April 13th, the Indian guide led Heward's group through a series of lakes and streams along what is now the Livingston-Washtenaw County line. All of these water bodies are interconnected by the Portage Creek of the Huron. Reading Heward's notes, it is clear that today's water levels are lower than they were back then, as Heward remarks about what appear as missing bays and vanished marshes in the area. His exact route is unknown, as the area is a maze of lakes with interconnecting streams and marshes. The editor of the Askin Papers suggests in a footnote that Professor W.B. Hinsdale studied the matter and thinks the portage was made to Otter Creek uh, via the Orchard River of the Grand. Woodruff disputes that, referencing Heward's journal. Hinsdale's theory was that Heward was going westerly, while the journal states that he went south and southwesterly. This would have put Heward in the marshes connecting Portage Creek of the Huron and a more downstream segment of the Otter Creek, also known as the Thornapple Creek. With snowmelt and a higher water table, this would be a reasonable route for a portage. Heward then takes the guide back to the settlement and reprovisions while the rest of the crew portages and waits for Heward's return. The unnamed Native American guide received a gun, a shirt, and some powder and shot for his efforts. Amazingly, Heward actually measured the portage with a 100-foot-long rope. Starting at the south end of the portage, these are his notes. 1,500 feet dry, 50 feet wet, 1,750 feet dry, 400 feet swamp, 900 feet dry, 1,400 feet wet, 400 feet dry, 300 feet wet, here nearly halfway, then 7,400 feet dry to north stream. In 1990, Woodruff provided Verlin Kruger, world-renowned paddler, with maps and Heward's notes asking Kruger to conduct the portage. Kruger put in his kayak into the Huron River near Portage Lake and Portage, well, more like bushwhacked and paddled, to Ellsworth Lake. Here, he made the same turn up Portage Creek that Heward did and came to what looked like the head of a portage. Using Heward's measurements, You can see uh, in in the notes and on the maps that I'll reference at the end that they mostly fit a southwesterly route uh, to the Portage River of the Grand. 
So note, there's a Portage River of the Huron and a Portage River of the Grand. You can take three guesses what both these uh, rivers called Portage Rivers were used for. So by this point, it was April 19th uh, when the crew was fully into the waterway uh, that would connect it to the Grand River. It snowed the next day, and on the 21st, after almost a month of travel, they were on their way down the Portage River to the Grand River. They eventually made it to the mouth of the St. Joseph River on May 1st and reached the Portage at Chicago Sunday, May 10th, and they got waylaid due to bad weather. There is no written record of the return trip to Detroit. So today the water levels are lower than lower, and the portage of the Grand is ditched, diked, and straightened. It enters the Grand near the Jackson State Prison. Woodward theorizes that Heward's route was more of an exploration of a potential portage as a known and much easier portage is available via the Grand Maple Bad Shiawassee Saginaw Way or going up the Maumee to Fort Wayne and crossing the short and dry portage over to the Wabash which eventually empties into the Illinois. In the spring of 1680, another explorer, the famed LaSalle, after losing his prized possession, the Griffin, uh, and a group of four Frenchmen and one Indian, hastily crossed the lower peninsula by foot and canoe. They departed from St. Joseph, Michigan, and they deliberately avoided all Indian trails, and they did so because they did not want to be followed. However, they were. He mentions wading across marshes, burning prairies to cover his tracks as they progress eastward along or just south of what is now known as the baseline. LaSalle also mentions the marshes of Jackson, Washtenaw, Livingston counties in his notes and eventually reaches the Huron River. At that point, LaSalle cut down an elm tree and created a bark canoe out of it. There's another story of a Kentucky soldier, William Atherton, who was held as a prisoner during the War of 1812. He survived the River Raisin Massacre and was taken west for the winter of 1813. When the winter turned to spring, his captors traversed back to rejoin the British. The Indians now began to prepare to return to Detroit. All hands turned out to making bark canoes, since there's no birch in the area, so they used elm. In these canoes, we ascended the river upon which we had sometime been encamped, and that was most likely the Grand River, until we came to the very head spring. I had no means of ascertaining the name of the river, which was the Portage River, but we then took up our canoes and carried them three or four miles to the headwaters of a river that empties into Lake Erie between the rivers Raisin and Detroit, which is the Huron River. Woodward also notes in his description, fits perfectly the chain of lakes along the Livingston-Washtenaw County line. Calkins theorizes they partly used the portage trail between Leak Lake and South Lake. So again, uh, a little, little disagreement, because Woodward notes that, uh, like Hinsdale, Calkins got this wrong as well. Atherton's description fits the portage trail between Portage Lake Swamp and Portage Creek. It does not fit terrain between Leak Lake and South Lake. So an interesting exercise to do is uh, pull up the uh, oldest USGS Tobo maps that you can find. If you find the Stockbridge 1919 quad and the, and the Dexter quad that the or the Dexter uh, 62500 map, it is a maze of lakes, marshes, swamps, islands of up and islands of upland and streams. 
any one of these porridge roots are plausible, given enough water and determination. And with this story, uh, is uh, LaSalle's journey is frequently uh, referred to as the first time um, a European penetrated the uh, interior of the Lower Peninsula. And again, this was in 1680. Um, actually, the first European to be credited uh, was uh, Grosselier, who crossed the Lower Peninsula on his way from Detroit to Lake Michigan in 1654. However, no notes of his route were, are known to exist, and the most likely route he took was Saginaw Bay to Titabawassee Maple Grand, as that was the route most used by Native Americans at the time. The Huron Grand Portage, as we've discussed, is quite nebulous and not defined. Uh, so, uh, if anybody tells you LaSalle was the first, actually, no, but we just don't know where Grosselier actually uh, paddled and walked. In any case, LaSalle uh, likely encountered the wetlands of the four-county area on his trek across the Lower Peninsula, and he eventually uh, found the Huron River. So, Grosselier was probably the first European uh, to have uh, paddled this route, and uh, the most recent person that uh, we're all aware of that has done it, and I mentioned him earlier, it was Verlin Kruger who did this in 1990. If you're looking to read more on this uh, portage, the John Askin papers are available actually online. Just Google them. Uh, Jim Woodruff's book, Across Lower Michigan by Canoe in 1790, um, a self-published book that is found in some of your larger libraries. Um, there is a, uh, a local historian uh, in the Pinckney area. His name is Milt Charbonneau, and he has uh, documented a lot of the canoe routes in the area. And he actually paddled uh, this portage once back in 1976. Um, and the last reference is uh, Old Trails of Central Michigan by Edmund Calkins. That was in Michigan History Magazine in 1928. So Jim Woodruff, he uh, did the, the lion's share of the work uh, gathering this information. I am just merely uh, repeating it back to you um, so you can enjoy it. Uh, and uh, this is a, I've always been fascinated by this particular portage um, only because it's got a lot of wetlands. The water used to be higher in Michigan than it is today. Um, it sounds like a fun thing to try to do, but... Uh, it's just not uh, really possible unless we have like really bad flooding or you know, an incredible amount of snow melt to make that paddle work. So, and the Native Americans used uh, um, other portages besides that one. This one was just too convoluted, and there were much easier ones. And remember, uh, Native Americans they like to find the fastest and quickest way they could to get from point A to point B, and going between the Huron and the Grand through uh, this route just wasn't the way to do it. All right, I hope you enjoyed that story about the Huron and uh, Grand River Portages. If you have any questions or need a clarification, reach out to me at Tom's World Adventures, and uh, be happy to get back with you. Thanks for joining me here on Trail Tales. I hope to do this again with you soon. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you again. <laughs>